bumper music. It is a, um, uh, it's a, it's some uh, music that we got from a great guy up in Ottawa, Ontario, um, talented musician and music mixer by the name of Admiral Bob, and so uh, uh, he is letting us. Uh, use this music uh, and he did not ask us to but we want to give him recognition because um, I think he's a uh, one hip dude and uh, I think he probably uh, like myself as a Canadian Football League fan my team is the Toronto Argos and I bet anything that he is a big fan of the Ottawa Red uh, uh, Red Blacks and um, uh, but enough about uh, three down football. Let's talk about uh, uh, let's talk about business exit planning today. In particular, we want to talk about um, uh, about a concept that uh, we use in the exit planning community: the concept of value drivers. Value drivers, quite simply, are those uh, are elements that together help to uh, push the value of your company to determine it. <coughs> and it's one of those things that in a, in assessing your company um, prior to a sale, if uh, and if you're if you're smart and strategic, you do a um, a pre-sale self due diligence, and you look at all those things. and the, And value drivers include things like the physical appearance of uh, uh, of the uh, the building that you're in. Um, of course, with the pandemic. Uh, that's taken on a whole, uh, you know, a whole new color because of uh, so many people working from home. Um, but that's a big, a big issue. Uh, perhaps the location of your business, if you, if you are dependent on uh, uh, on people coming to uh, to your place of business, um, your turnover rate is a very big deal. <coughs> um, the uh, the quality of your management team. Uh, your support staff. Uh, do you have any intellectual property? To what extent do you have tax? Uh, a, a tax liability or exposure? Um, uh, or are you using accounting principles that are uh, that are correct? The way that you do your accounting has an uh, is a is a value driver. So um, so that's an important way to uh, to view those things. But let me give you another suggestion. And that's the idea of uh, what's referred to as an economic moat. And, and um, if you think of your business as a castle, um, the moat around the castle is, the, um, is what your competitive advantages are. And um, uh, if, if you... Um, have done a good, a really good job of being strategic uh, about building your moat. It's deep and wide and filled with crocodiles, and nobody wants to uh, to to try to cross it. You're a big dog. On the other hand, some people don't really think about those things, or they let them lapse. And um, moats, like anything else, have to be maintained. So, what could be a be part of your economic moat? And it goes again back to your value drivers. It could be. Um, uh, it, it could be the unique market that you have for your product. It could be the product uh, itself, uh, it um, and or uh, any um, intellectual property rights that you have that surround that product. It could be your ability to to produce it. Your supply chain um, it can can represent a competitive advantage. 
big thing to remember, and I alluded to this a second ago, is that whatever those competitive advantages are, you've, you've got to be really attentive to them all the time. Um, just because you have a competitive advantage one year doesn't mean that that's going to that's going to be the case. <coughs> um, some of you may have read um, uh, some of Jim Collins' books. Jim, of course, was a um, uh, I say was I think he's still alive, but he he wrote a number of books about um, uh, greatness in in business, and one of the books they wrote about that he wrote was called Good to Great. And uh, he did this comparison in Good to Great of uh, a company that was kind of mediocre and a company that had really achieved. And I, um, in this particular case, I think he talked about a company called Welcome, which was kind of mediocre and not, is no longer in business, to my knowledge, and compared it to a company called Circuit City. And Circuit City had some great competitive advantages. They were really... Their, their marketing was second to none. Uh, they had great service. Stuff was always in stock. But look around you and you don't see Circuit City anymore because Circuit City, for, for better or for worse, um, did, not, uh, did not maintain its competitive advantage. Uh, it, it, as market conditions changed and changes in the economy, um, they didn't. They didn't react very well. Um, <coughs> in fact, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but um, if you remember the um, the Palm Pilot, I can remember thinking, hearing people say, "Well, you know, pretty soon you're gonna you're gonna be able to have your your calendar and 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 notes and and messaging, what have you, uh, and and your ability to make phone calls all in one thing." And I thought. I'd much rather have my little flip phone and and uh, and my Palm Pilot. Um, Palm had a big competitive advantage. Where is Palm? I bought my last Palm Pilot at a Circuit City, and both of those companies are kind of like not around. So, um, so do some inventory. Look around and 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 see what are the things inside your company that give you an edge over everybody else. Um, they may be things that you aren't completely attentive to <coughs> um, or, or completely aware of. Uh, you know, for example, um, if, there's, if you're in an industry that has a very difficult barrier of entry to overcome, that is a huge competitive advantage. Um, if you go to New York City and you see yellow cabs and checker cabs, um, they'd get their uh, uh, their uh, cab medallions and and uh, and those come at a very high at a, at a very high price and put them on the um, you know they have to be prominently displayed on the cabs. Um, that was a big barrier to entry, the cost of getting one of those medallions, one of those badges. And then, and you know, everybody knows where I'm going with this, Uber shows up. And in some cases, Uber was breaking the law, but eventually, um, locals saw that the, um, local government saw that the 
that the times they were a changing and uh, it became possible in almost every significant place in the country to uh, to use Uber or or its competitor Lyft, and I think there's even another one that's that, that's come online. Um, so sometimes, uh, just somebody with a really good idea and enough tenacity to um, uh, to push back against uh, uh, unreasonable barriers of entry can overcome those barriers of entry and come up with a uh, a, a better, uh, more efficient uh, uh, way to deliver a good or uh, or service. Um, I'm particularly interested again in decide in, in thinking about your, your team. Uh, that itself can be a great competitive advantage. I have a, a friend, uh, Mary Kunkel. She and her husband Tony have um, a company called Janicor in um, I think it's in Cincinnati and um, they were in an industry where um, a lot of what they were using were immigrant labor and before I start getting uh, any angry uh, mail from people who don't like our, our, our present immigration policy, let me just say that they were ruthless and meticulous about making sure that uh, everybody that they, were, they had on their payroll um, was, um, uh, was legal. But um, they were in, an, uh, they are in an industry where uh, um, they're uh, doing um, uh, maintenance and cleaning work on uh, commercial office buildings and warehouses and and factories. And uh, uh, it's an industry where there's a very very high rate of turnover. Their turnover once they began implementing some, some practices and some policies and some things that would, um, that would um, make their, play, their company an even better place to work, cut the, uh, it cut the rate of turnover uh, uh, dr drastically. In fact, I think that their rate of turnover, the last time I checked, was maybe 25% of what the, what the uh, industry average is. Um, and the way that they've done this they, first of all, their, their attitude is that um, the people who work for them, um, are, their labor, if you will, is not to be, cons is not to be deemed to be a, um, a cost center. They see, their, they see their employees as an asset. They've got a great training program for them. They, uh, and, they're, they're, and they have a system, a process for uh, cleaning buildings that um, takes a lot less time and requires a lot fewer people. Uh, they recognize uh, great consistent performance. Something else that they do that's really important is that they, um, most everybody that they, got, uh, that they have working for them, who again are all legal, um, want to become United States citizens. And so they have a company program to um, uh, help their people prepare to uh, go through the process to become United States citizens. And then on top of that, they have a, uh, a program um, that um, uh, helps their, their people to, to buy their first home and to, to realize, if you will, these new Americans to realize the American dream. 
the their system was so um, uh, is it, it, so forward thinking that an author who, uh, and I can't remember this guy's name to save me uh, fell by uh, a fellow who wrote, he wrote the book um, the dream maker and uh, it's not the dream maker but the dream manager and it's kind of a play on words you know you have a dream person to work for and then you've got somebody who can manage dreams and help them to uh, uh, to become realized and uh, and that's what they do for their people and that's why their company is um, is so successful and and I think they've uh, that uh, Mary and Tony have uh, started uh, kicking back their great people and uh, and their company um, is going to uh, be a leader in that marketplace for a long period of time they are very hard to compete with that's the point um, you these things don't happen by accident if you're like my one client who left a lot of change on the table when he sold his company in a in an M&A deal uh, and relied on his accountant uh, again uh, not a CPA and a fellow that I refer to as Ted TurboTax um, you're, you're going to essentially come to the table and 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 hope that you guessed right People like Mary and Tony, and, uh, uh, and and people who have been really attentive to uh, to digging their moat and making sure that it was not just uh, not just wide, but that it was deep, and they regularly are looking at it to see what they can do to improve it. Those are people that when you when they sell their company one day, um, their company is going to have intrinsic value that a that a three to five times multiple of earnings is not going to reflect. Um, the, they would be in a position, my friends at Conquest, and I and I, they're not going to. I don't think they're going to sell their company. I think, I think they're they will probably uh, it'll probably be a generational deal. But let's say that they did. I bet anything they could get an outrageous price for their company because of the fact that they've got these great processes and they've got this great company culture. And they've got people who are going to stay with the company. That, by the way, let me talk about that again. Uh, if you have a company that has a, um, a low rate of turnover, um, that makes your company more valuable to somebody who wants to include it as an acquisition, not just as, a, uh, as something that they're going to to improve and flip <coughs> um, it becomes really critical for two reasons you know, one is that if you're disabled to the point that you cannot leave your company we talked about this in a recent episode um, if you've got th things structured so that people want to stay on the ship and not not jump it like rats if there is an event like a death or a disability of one of the principals um, that kind of a stability in a company makes it very, very attractive. And you, if you take that attitude and start building it now, then when you do leave your company, you're not going to have to stay with it to, uh, to work out a, um, an earn out for several years while your, uh, while your customers and vendors and bankers are getting to know your, getting to know the new owner. Because really, what do you want to do when you leave your, when you retire from your company, you want to be gone. 
the best way to be gone is to make sure that you've got a company that can manage itself and um, and uh, has great people with uh, a great team with a, 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 a low rate of turnover and if you're if you're taking a, the most strategic way that I think you you can in exiting your company and using some kind of a uh, of a transaction advisor like an investment banker or um, um, uh, or an exit planning consultant uh, we and I, I mean we're exit planning consultants but we don't do a lot of that but we make sure that we uh, that we uh, have close uh, relationships with a number of uh, great investment bankers or venture capitalists or um, uh, or other types of people who can uh, can be brought to the table to um, uh, to help make a great sale happen. Um, so um, keep keep thinking about that. Um, if you've not taken a look at uh, things that are driving value in your company, um, if you've never done it, and quite frankly, most people haven't, then you need to do that. Um, and um, in fact, uh, as unfortunately happens in many cases, uh, and even with companies that are at the upper uh, upper end of a uh, of what we call the um, uh, the lower mid market of uh, privately held companies. Um, there are plenty of companies that are are generating a hundred million dollars of, uh, of revenue every year, but most of the power is essentially being held by the um, uh, by the guy who or or lady who started the company. And um, that is a, uh, a a not great thing. So that's another great place to look is how your company is structured. And I know it's hard to let go. It is really, really hard to let go. Um, uh, I, uh, in a uh, previous working life and the company that I, uh, that I started, did not do a good job of that, and I burned out. And my health um, went straight south for about seven or eight years you know I'm in much better shape now but um, but I can tell you that um, all of these things and getting to a place again as I mentioned in a recent in a recent episode of the, of the podcast uh, getting to a place where your company is self-managing and you don't even have to be there you could be gone for a month and it and and the company would still be functioning and growing and serving people um, getting to that place is also something that's going to help su support you with some, with some great help for the long term. So, um, so anyway, we'll uh, be cranking up the great bumper music in a moment, but let me tell you that uh, I appreciate uh, everybody who has been uh, very kind in listening to the, to the, uh, to the podcast and, uh, and our company, Seabrook Wessex, which is based in, uh, in South Carolina. Uh, we are at the ready to help you to design and uh, execute a great exit plan um, with a great team of advisors that can be put together. Um, and in fact, we may talk about uh, how we put an exit planning team together. Uh, I think that would be helpful in a future episode, so come back and keep watching for that. And um, uh, have a great rest of your week.
and keep having fun on the road to world domination. I'm Frank Warren.